What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? Hey, this is PC. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. I am super stoked today to have as a guest on the show Dr. Brandon Beck, who resides and works in New York. Brandon, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And so let's just dive right in. And for the audience, for the listeners who may not know you yet, tell us about yourself and who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm an elementary school teacher in Westchester County, New York. So I'm in a suburb outside of New York City. And I consider myself a monolingual, bilingual educator. And that's kind of a story in itself. But Basically, I'm a dual language teacher in an English zone classroom, and I've been doing that for about 10 years. I've been teaching for 17 years. In addition to teaching, I'm also a soccer coach. So I've coached all my life. I feel like it just as a player. I played collegiately. I played professionally and then just naturally coaching and teaching just always lined up in my life. And I've not really been able to stop coaching. It's just something I really love to do. And I run a a soccer club in the area with, we service about 1500 families on a regular basis throughout the year, kids ages four to 23. And as of late, I am an author and newly, uh, new author with Codebreaker with a book coming out called Unlocking Unlimited Potential. It's going to be out next week, actually. So I'm super excited for it to come out. And Um, it's been a labor of love and it's just been a really awesome story to meet all these great people can sit like Brian, Brian Aspinall, the code breaker family, and just walking into this journey has just really been an eye opening experience for me. And it was something that at the beginning of, of the beginning of this pandemic, um, I didn't have kind of on my to-do list and it just kind of happened. And I'm really excited of where it's going right now. Oh, that's awesome. And there's a couple of my good friends, Darren Peppard and Mark Brown, who have worked with the same uh, company and producing books. And so, yeah, that, that's so cool that you're all you know, sharing along this journey. Talk about Unlocking Unlimited Potential. How did you come about, like, where did the title concept come from? And then what can a reader expect when they dive into this? Yeah, you know, what's funny. I've been doing a, a bunch of podcasts lately, and I feel like I've been telling the same story over and over again. But I'm going to change this story a little bit, because I think it's important to know if you know kind of the journey of the title, you'll kind of understand the book. But the book in a nutshell, before I get into that, is that inside of all of us as educators, as humans, we have this power within us that once we learn to control it and harness and most importantly, believe in it, we're able to unlock unlimited potential in ourselves, which inevitably leads to unlocking it in all those we serve. So that's it, the book in a nutshell. But the, it's the funny story is that When I started off with this idea, I started off with the idea and the title of the book was the saying that we would say a lot in in my school. And I heard a lot of teachers saying, and it was close your door and teach. You know, you constantly like, oh, what do I do? There's all these things going on. Parents, people saying this, people saying this. And there's all these things happening outside my classroom. You're like, wait, inside my classroom, I'm in in control. I can be in control. So the the first title was close your door and teach. And then I kind of thought about it and I I thought it had a little bit of a negative connotation, kind of like this idea of like, shut up, I know what I'm doing. And that's totally not where I wanted this to go. 
Um, and then I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. And I love authors, personal de development authors like Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, Brene Brown, Rachel Hollis, Les Brown, so many awesome inspirational speakers that I've just had the journey to the, the, the opportunity to read their, their books and, and be a part of a lot of their work they're doing. And one of the things that Tony Robbins always says, he always say, live with passion. And so the title of the book was going to be Educate with Passion. And then so I just kind of, you know what I mean? You just kind of keep moving around in these titles, but they're all related to what the book is really about and landed on the title of, you know, this whole idea of being an educator for me is that aha moment, that moment when you see a, a, a kid in a classroom or on a soccer field, wherever it is, as a coach or as a teacher, when they find that opportunity as an individual and as a team to rise above and find that limitless potential within them, to me, that's what it's all about. And so that's how the title Unlocking Unlimited Potential came to be. I love that, man. What, a, what an awesome story. And you talked a lot about your, your experience and your love, your passion for soccer and with coaching. How has coaching and being involved in sports translated into your educational career and how has it helped you as a classroom teacher? Well, number one, the one thing that I know is that you have to keep things on the field fun. And it's the same in the classroom. You know, if you're able to get kids up moving around, doing things they're excited about. And, you know, I was, I was in a meeting not too long ago with some educators and we were talking and it was just, you know, all the things that are happening with the pandemic and, you know, kids have lost time and what are we going to do to make up for it? And, you know, maybe, you know, I heard ideas being tossed around like, well, let's, you know, let's take away from some of this community time and let's really, let's just take some of this social emotional learning time and take that away. And now let's just start to focus on you know, really pushing and giving them, you know, comprehension quizzes and, and making sure they're reading and they're answering questions. And it's just like, well, we're kind of missing the point here because kids are going to hate reading if we keep going that route. And I think it's just, I think for me, it, that's part of it. You know, making learning fun is really at the core of what it's all about and being co a coach and being a, uh, a teacher, but also there's also that part of it too, that coaching part, you know, not just coaching a soccer team, but also coaching individuals and having someone that keeps you accountable and having someone who helps you set goals and calls you up in the morning and is like, Hey, what are you focusing on this week? And, and how can you get better? And all right, what are you, what's your plan? Are you going to do this? All right, cool. Let's talk about it tomorrow. And just having people like that in your life, I think is really critical. No, totally. You said so much right there and getting kids up, getting them engaged, letting them have fun in the classroom. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about and that I talk with people about is the disconnect that we have with our kids between the elementary school level and the high school level. Generally speaking, my son's in fifth grade. If you go into an elementary school and you ask them, how many of you love coming to school? How many of you love your teacher, love your principal? You know, every hand goes up, right? They're so excited, they love it. But then by the time our kids get to high school, the vast majority of them hate it, right? And, and you see it on social media, you hear it through conversations. And I personally think that a lot of that has to do with in elementary school, like you said, they're active, they're up, they're moving, they're cutting, they're pasting, they're gluing, they're doing all these things. And then in high school, it's sit down, shut up and let me talk to you for 50 minutes or for an hour and a half, however long, you know, that class or that block might be. What advice could you give to a high school educator and maybe even to some middle school educators? How can they make learning fun in their classrooms? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's the million dollar question, right? I think it, it starts with your story, right? And, and being able to think about what your story was like, like, <clears throat> I know for me personally, I think one of the reasons I became a teacher was because of that story that you just told right there. Like high school was boring for me. I, I, I didn't love it, but somehow I came out and wanted to be a teacher because there's a lot of people out there like me that want to make their experience better. So think about what's your story. How would you feel if you were sitting in that seat? If the, you know, if the 10th grade Brandon Beck was sitting in the seat in front of me, would, would you think that was cool? Would you think that was fun? And I think within all of us, we have these, these talents and we have these things. Like for me, I play the guitar and I love to play guitar and I love to take like things that I'm teaching my students and turn them into parodies. Like, you know, like related to songs that I, that they may know, or that I may know, like knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door is drip, drip, drip. The circulatory system is one example. Um, you know, just being able to have fun and, and, and take, bring those pieces, because if you can bring those pieces into the classroom, not only are you going to show your strengths and your talents, but eventually you're going to find kids start to relate to those talents and they start to share things um, that are important to them. And I think that that's part of it too. And the other part of it is, is for me, what I really think is important at the high school level. And I do work with high school kids a lot because I teach 10 and year 11 year old kids during the day. And then I go and coach high school soccer in, in the evening sometimes, you know, so I'm like, I'm getting kids from 10 to 18 all in one day. And so one thing that I, I do find that's really important is making kids accountable and really talking about smart goals. How many kids at the, and I really focus on this with my students, how many kids at the 10, 11 year old level really know how to set a real goal? Like, I want to get better at reading. Okay, well, what does that really mean? You want to get better at reading? What do you want to get better at? You want to get better at finishing books? You want to get better at reading out loud? You know, and just kind of walking them through like almost that coaching experience so that if your students are starting to do that at a young age, when they get to high school, now they're setting goals for themselves and we're taking, this stuff is starting to take off because these kids are now starting to set their own path. And I think that's what it's all about, especially in the 21st century and all the changes in technology and all the things we use that we're seeing right now that have come across because of the pandemic. There's so much opportunity for us to take control of our learning and for us to have opportunities to set really big goals, achieve them, move on. But it's also not about having 97 different goals. It's about just having smart, goals that we can walk ourselves through, that we can tie in a purpose to the goal and then design a massive action plan. I love that. And what a cool, you know, experience for you to get to run the gamut every single day from, like you said, from the 10 year old all the way through the 18 year old and, and just getting those different interactions and that different intellect and that different vibe, that different feedback. You talked about the pandemic. And so we're in month number, I think nine now of this pandemic. And there's a lot of negatives and there's a lot of negativity towards it, especially in the world of education. But what I would love to hear from you is what is something that has come out of this pandemic from an educator perspective that has helped you to grow and get better? What have you improved on as an educator over the course of this last nine months? Well, that's a heavily loaded, awesome question. There's so many answers that I would like to say, but I think it's interesting because I was thinking about this always as an educator about what is the, the impact of this pandemic. And Actually, one of the chapters in my book is called When One Door Closes, a Virtual One Opens. And what I did is I invited authors to write that chapter, to write submissions. So a lot of people you know, Darren Pepperd, Frank Redneski, Brian Aspinall, uh, Jonathan Alshimer, Staff Room Podcast, just a lot of different so that they could provide 
a different perspective, not just a teacher, just some people that are from all different walks of life in education, but also in different parts of North America. And one thing that I found is I think that we all have this, you know, there's a little bit more acceptance of failure, right? And almost this, this, this idea that we all realize that nobody really knows what this is all going to lead to in the future. You know, we can't really look and try to analyze our kids and look at them the way we looked at them last year before this pandemic and look at scores and look at all of the, you know, the things that are happening and, and professional development plans and individualized IEPs. Like all of that stuff is very different because progress is going to look a lot different. So it's almost like clean slate, which to me has been the greatest thing. And I've, and I felt this from my administrators and the people that I work with, I felt that people have been more willing to take risks and people have been more willing to sit back and say, you know what, it's really important now that we get a chance to focus on social emotional learning. You know, it took a pandemic for us to realize that, Hey, this is important in schools and we really need to focus on this. And then, you know, it took other things to happen in the world for us to focus on equity. Now equity is really important. Well, equity and social emotional learning and taking risks has all been important this whole entire time, but now we're giving a little bit more grace for that to happen. So true. And yeah, you couldn't have said that any better. Those have always been big issues, but now it's like, bam, they're front and center. They've got the spotlight on them, right? Um, what do you think will change at, at some point Fingers crossed, we hope we're going to come out of this pandemic, right? And we're going to be able to go back. Everybody's going to go back into the physical classrooms. What is something that you would love to see change and be different about the world of education coming out of this pandemic? Well, I think a lot's going to change because I remember way before this, people saying like, no, kids will never be able to get on a Zoom call or, or a Google Hangout. And, and, you know, I happen to work in, a, in an underprivileged district with, you know, a large majority of kids that get free and reduced lunch. And, you know, the, the discussion was how are they, you know, they can't, they can't do that technology. They can't do that. So I guess, you know, I think that's number one is I think there that we can raise the bar in the future. And we've learned that technology isn't as difficult for students as we originally thought. And that if we let kids explore a little bit more, then really we have an opportunity for some really amazing things to happen. And the other thing I think that is important during this time too is the fact that how much we are able to kind of like flip the classroom. There's bits and pieces of that. You know, I'm, I'm working in a, a hybrid setting right now. So I'm teaching students on a computer and students in the classroom at the same time. It is not ideal and I do not want that to be the future. Let me get that clear. But it just goes to show that we can really pull back as an educator and, and, and let go of some control because once we have the students in front of us, we should really have high expectations that they're able to collaborate in person, that they're able to collaborate through different devices, that they're able to use all of these tools for educational reasons, as opposed to just, you know, writing papers. So true. I, I, and I think that's just spot on. And when you're talking about technology, I think it's almost comical when people will say that they don't know if the kids can do it because the truth is in most cases, it's the adults that struggle more so with the technology and the different platforms and how are we gonna you know, take our classes online and that kind of stuff. Whereas like the kids, like my son, he grew up and he was swiping when he was probably 14, 15 months old you know, on the iPad and on the phone and stuff. So 
it's just a different mindset. It's a different world that they're growing up with. And speaking of little ones, you have a new addition at your house. I do. I have a one month old. So I, we had our third girl during all this craziness. And, and so it's funny because I, I scheduled my life for it to happen. So October 14th, I finished the final draft of the book and then we had the baby like a week later. And uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about the pandemic and you know, nothing like you don't wish the pandemic to come at any other time, but it, it has, has been nice. You know, it's been nice to be like, well, it's Saturday and we don't, we can't go anywhere. So I guess I'll just hang out with my family. And, you know, it's, it's, there's been good things that have come out of it. And, you know, it's, it's been wild having, you know, three children, three girls, and, you know, there's a and even my dog is female. So it's, it's, I'm overrun completely, which is cool. Um, but I'm, I'm learning some really, really important um, life skills. I'll put it that way. <laughs> totally. You're outnumbered there, bud. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's talk about your doctoral degree and what made you decide that you wanted to pursue that. Talk about that journey um, because it is definitely a journey. And then what did you study? What was your main focus uh, focus of study? Yeah. So funny story, the whole journey. Um, it was awesome. Back in 2017, I finished. Um, and I always had this idea in my head that I would continue to take my education to the next level. And I wanted to, I, I, I'm a, also a college professor on the side of all of this. And I love being in the classroom with future educators and current educators. And, and I just love working with other teachers. Um, and I decided to go into a doctorate program and everybody was like, well, you should become a principal. Everybody in the program, you should become a principal. You should become a superintendent. And I was like, 100%. I think that that is a thankless job for sure. I said, but I just don't think that's it for me. I have this other thing going on. I'm also, I run this business. I consider myself like the assistant superintendent of that business. Um, and I just kind of have, you know, little bits and pieces of all of that going on in my life. Not that I wouldn't want to be become a principal, but I do like my summers and it's a, it's a thankless job. And at the end of the day, I, I really want to go that higher ed route. And also, you know, the speaking and the coaching and the writing is also important to me. So the whole journey was interesting because I was, I had originally thought that I was going to change the world with my doctorate by studying teacher evaluation. And then I read a book by Linda Darling Hammond called Getting Evaluation Right. And I put it down and I was like, nope, can't change the world without evaluation. I was like, it's just completely difficult and impossible because there are 9 million variables of what makes an effective teacher. And I don't want to be the person who has to decide that. So I changed gears because I went to this conference and I went to this conference called the New York State Association of Bilingual Education. And I was up there and I was presenting at this conference. I had made a documentary about my school's dual language program that had been going on for about 10 years at this point. And I hear all these people talking at this conference, these big, big gurus of bilingual education that I admired and looked up to. And they just kept using the word bilingual educator. We're bilingual teachers, bilingual this. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm monolingual. I'm not a bilingual educator. And I'm just listening to what they're talking about and how they're, how they're utilizing the term and, and all the things they're, they're describing. I'm like, I do that. And I'm like, I do that too. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany, like right before I presented and I stood up in front of everybody. And I'm like, my name is Brandon Beck and I am a monolingual bilingual 
educator. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, I just realized today I was a bilingual educator. And I changed my dissertation. Like I was in the doctor program. I changed my dissertation at that time. I changed it to wanting to figure out if there were other teachers out there like me, because where I live and in the United States in general, it's a large growing population of multicultural families, of children that speak other languages in the home than English, and especially around me. And the people that are the ones that have that get to teach them, they're not necessarily always bilingual. And even those teachers who are bilingual, they may or may not feel like they're the most effective. So I interviewed a bunch of teachers, some monolingual, some bilingual, some that were grew up in immigrants, some that had been teaching bilinguals for 25 years. And, and the topic of my dissertation was getting to understand how teachers felt about their preparation to teach language learners. And so it led me down this whole road of self, self-efficacy, which led me to here to this book. And there are bits of this in my book because my book is broken up into three parts. The first part is building a foundation, and that talks about understanding your why, growth mindset, social emotional learning, really clarifying your purpose of who you are as an educator. And the second part is looking is called looking at challenge, uh, challenge looking at challenges as opportunities for growth. And I do talk about being a, a teacher of English language learners and how that really brought me out of my comfort zone and how I brought myself out of my comfort zone even further by using studying this this whole doc taking this dissertation and writing it about this area that I had didn't feel comfortable in at all but I challenged myself and I got through it and the final part is taking all of those challenges that you've experienced as educators and believing in you and so that's kind of how what I did in my dissertation is slightly included um and it let I always was saying to myself I'm going to write a book I'm going to write a book and I feel like every educator should write a book because we have millions of stories and it's just, that's the story of my dissertation and how it all came to be. That's yeah. Every educator has a story to tell and probably multiple stories to tell, you know, with all just the different, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The experiences that you, that you can tell people about that people have no idea, you know, um, especially if you're not in the world of education, some of the things that go on and that happen both in the classroom and out of the classroom, just from being an educator, you know, and it's funny, you're talking about the bilingual. I go to Europe. I've been to Europe a few times and it always fascinates me because almost every single person in Europe is multilingual. Most of them speak, they speak at least two, if not three or four or five different languages. But then here in the States, for the longest time, it's always been this English only, English only thing. And so I think about that a lot too. It's like, well, why? And then I think about as well, and I don't know how it was for you growing up as a kid, but for me, and you didn't take foreign language until you were in high school. And so a lot of kids would wait until their junior and senior year to take them. And it would be so much easier to learn how to speak Spanish or Chinese or whatever languages you wanted to take from the elementary school level as opposed to waiting until you're 17 and 18 years old. What kind of success, talk about the success that you've seen with these young men, young women that you work with that are in those bilingual, multilingual classrooms. Yeah, so by the time they come to me in fifth grade, they've been in the program since pre-kindergarten and they're almost like a school within a school. So it's about four out of like 15 classes that are dual language. And they start off in pre-kindergarten all the way up. By the time they get to me in fifth grade, they go to the Spanish, when they're in the Spanish teacher's classroom, they're not speaking English. They're all speaking Spanish. 
um, it's amazing. And that to me was always the draw. I personally, I never had, I never had the opportunity to learn a language. I had like a language uh, retention and issue when I was in middle school that like totally ruined my experience with languages. And that was part of the reason too, I wanted to like dive back into this because I wasn't able to really experience language, but I was able to experience culture. And that's the whole thing too. Like if just because you don't know a language and just because someone is bilingual, it doesn't make them the best teacher. Just because someone has a certificate doesn't make them the best teacher. It's about the work you're willing to do. And it's about the, the um, opportunities you're going to put forth in front of you. And that's always been to me what it's all been about. And that's even what my research proved. And at the end of the day, teachers who do teach language learners are really more motivated in many ways. They're very resourceful, just like a special education teacher is. Um, and it just kind of, the students are amazing. And to me, like I happen to have that soccer background and I happen to have a lot of Hispanic Latinos. So we, my classroom has soccer stuff everywhere. So they love that. And that's just like a, a connection, like the game of soccer or football, as we call it in Europe. Like there's such a passion in that game. These kids, like kids are born in Brazil and like you're given a soccer ball when you're born. Um, and that, that they know that I have that background, that they talk to me about soccer, it gives us a nice opportunity. And it really makes these, these kids are, they're really well-rounded. And to be honest with you, like the other thing that I've learned too is how interesting this world is that we live in. My school borders a school that is on the complete other end of the expect the spectrum in terms of financial opportunity. Trump has a golf course in the town next door to my, my school. And they're, they're two different neighborhoods completely. But you know, you see these kids that I have, especially in this remote learning, we, I just had conferences a couple of weeks ago and it was, you know, I'm out working, I'm, I'm cleaning houses, I'm, you know, cutting people's lawns. I'm, but my child is home by himself, 10, 11 years old. Like that in the other town, that's not happening. The other town, that parent usually works on wall street and he's home because Wall, you know, people aren't, aren't going into New York city right now. And I just have so much respect for both sides of it because they, they both, they're both interesting perspectives. One kid isn't better than the other. They're just more, they're just very interesting to be able to see that in literally a mile away from each other. And so that, that humbleness that the students that I, that I work with and just there, when they come to school for them, it's just such a release. It's such an opportunity that they're, they're getting out of their home to be able to come to school and to get that support that they need because a lot of their parents can't provide much of that support at home. And so it's just, it's just a, that under having that understanding is and developing that understanding that cultural awareness has just been mind opening for me as an educator. It's a, it's a huge deal. No doubt about that. Um, what's your, how about your favorite soccer team and your favorite soccer player? My favorite soccer team is Chelsea. Okay. And my favorite soccer player. Ooh, that's a tough one. He just passed away, man. Diego Maradona. Um, that was one of my favorites. Cause I just grew up as a kid watching him play. Uh, Currently, right now, I have a lot of favorites, um, but I have to go with an American right now who plays for Chelsea. His name is Christian Pulisic, and he is the future of our United States soccer national team. So I'm going to I'm going to vote for him right now. 
Very cool. I, um, when I lived in Tennessee, I would play a video game with my brother. I can't remember what it was, FIFA, a soccer game um, on something, PlayStation, Xbox. It's been a long time ago, but we would always play with Chelsea. Um, because they had a, a striker named Drogba, I think. Oh, Didier Drogba. Love yes, that guy. Yes, Definitely one of my was, favorites. Yeah, he was a beast. He was an absolute beast. So that's that's too cool that uh, you've even got the coffee mug and everything with that. <laughs> Let, let's talk about your job as a professor, because that's fascinating. Um, and you said you, you do that part-time. And yeah. I'm assuming that you're working with aspiring educators. If you had to tell those kids, which I'm sure you do, you know, what are the let's say the three most important things that you can take from your college prep classes into the classroom. What are the three, if you don't do anything else, do these three things and that'll make you successful or give you the opportunity to be successful as an educator. Wow. You are just full of million, million dollar questions, aren't you? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's funny because this course that I teach, I teach teachers after not, after this whole story I told you about like, having no confidence and being a bilingual educator. So I teach bilingual educators to get their certificate in bilingual education in TESOL. Um, and, and it's a certificate that I don't even have, which I think is hilarious. Um, and so the number one thing I would say is, is it starts with you and it starts with you believing that you can do it no matter what it is that you believe that you can reach your students starting with meaningful relationships and the simple question of how are you doing today? The second thing I would say is getting an understanding of what culture really is requires you to really learn what's going on with your students. Culture is not a black and white thing. It's not, there's no single definition of culture anymore. It's just what, what is culture is what's inside of kids, what's inside of them, what, what's their home like, what's their relationship with their their peers like what's their what's their interest what's their hobbies and then the third thing i would say is is it's important to use the home language even if you don't know how to use the home language it's important to use it as a tool even if that means using google translate even if that means starting a journal with a student i have a newcomer in my classroom he just came to the country a couple months ago and we can't really communicate but we can use Google Translate. He can write, I ask him questions. He writes a Google document. He clicks the translate button. I see what he's saying in English. I do the same thing back. I translate it in Spanish. And I'm starting a dialogue with him just by using these tools that we didn't have 15 years ago. Um, so I would say those three things are most important for me. That's so fascinating, the, the translate you know, and like you said, we didn't have that 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, you know, to be able to have that communication with a young man, young woman, and, and to put them in a position to be successful. I can't imagine how intimidating that has to be to move somewhere where you don't speak the language, right? And, and it's not your, quote unquote, your own personal culture, you know, of, of where you came from, how scary that has to be. And so, to have an educator like you and have technology like that, that can put them on that pathway to be successful. I just think that's huge. And so let's, let's transition that into a question about equity. And one of the things when we're talking about equity, I always tell people like, we're not born hating other people because of the color of their skin, because of their you know, religion, because of sexual preference. Like we're not born believing those things. Those things are taught and they're learned. And I think a lot of times when I see kids really start to create those 
beliefs in their mind. It's when they're 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, a lot of the middle school areas. With your experience, both on the elementary school side and then in the high school side, talk about what you see from that point of view. And do you see any of those, you know, inequities at the elementary school level versus more so at the high school level? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I see that kids are more able to articulate and talk about it at the high school level level than they are at necessarily at the elementary level. But you got to start the conversation somewhere. Right. And I think a lot of us as educators feel that we don't know enough if we're from one particular race or another. And that's like the myth. Right. It's not about knowing anything. It's about just asking the questions. It's about getting uncomfortable in order to become comfortable. And, you know, I, I run, I was asked you know, over the pandemic to do a couple of professional development sessions about social emotional learning. And they were like, but we want you to do it with an equity lens. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, like, and, and what, what I was going to do was what I did do was just started the conversation and what are your feelings about equity? And having those conversations at the high school level was as kids started to talk about it, because at first some of them, they were very, they didn't, they're resistant at first. And then as they started to open up and started to talk and I'm working with teachers, they're, they're working with the high school students, as they're starting to open up the conversation, we're starting to see all these epiphanies are happening. And the next day, more conversations are happening. And the next day, more conversations are happening because now they're seeing your your environment as a safe place for that. And I think as the younger ages, you know, I remember a kid came into my classroom and he said, it was right before COVID was, was it was just right at the beginning. He's like, he's like, Dr. Beck, um, is it true that uh, that only Chinese people get COVID? And I was like, what? Where did you hear that? Let's talk about that. Let's have this conversation. Hey, let's look up some, let's, let's, can someone do a little bit of research on this? And it was, it was like a team effort to come to this discussion and be like, understanding that a lot of the things that we hear sometimes, it's important for us to go the extra mile to get our own opinions. And, and to make our own opinions is really what it's about at the end of the day, because at least be informed and at least understand the things that you're saying, they have impact. And if you're going to say something that has impact, at least be ready to back it up and also be understanding of other people's backgrounds and how these things make them feel. And I think just opening up the conversation is important. The younger you start, the easier it is. And I think that's one thing that's also came out of this pandemic. Absolutely. And, and I tell my son the exact same thing. It's OK to have a different opinion. Right. But can you tell me why you have that different opinion? And then can we have an educated conversation about this topic? I can understand where you're coming from. You understand where I'm coming from and we don't have to hate each other. Right. You know, right. It's like it's like so often right now. It's like if you're on this side and I'm on that side, well, it's automatically like, well, you're, you're right or I'm right. You're wrong and I have to hate you. And it's, it's like, how did how did we get to this point? You know, um, it, it just fascinates my mind, but I, I completely agree with everything that you just said there. Let's talk to educators right now, because as you know, so many of them are just down and out and they're beat up and they're defeated. And, you know, the, the thing I see over and over again is this isn't sustainable. 
how do you maintain your energy, your positivity? What do you say to educators as a whole who are really struggling throughout this pandemic? Yeah, well, I would be lying to you if I sat here and said that every day it's, it's you know, roses and butterflies, because even though I'm sitting here and saying, you know, believe in you, focus on the positive, I'm also acknowledging that I have things that I'm going on inside of me. And I think it's important that every educator find their outlet. For me, it's Twitter chats, podcasts, writing, blogging, you know, that for me, like at the beginning of this journey, at the beginning of, of this pandemic, I had no followers. I had no idea what a Twitter chat was. I had no idea who Darren Peppard was, who PC was. I, unfortunately, and, I, and I'm going to say this and don't get mad at me, I hadn't heard of the Jocelyn's Renaissance. I don't know why that is. I think that's just the thing about in my neighborhood. And I've been asking people, but you're, and and I was embarrassed that I didn't know because as I saw, as I participated in the virtual conferences here, I'm like, this is fantastic. And, and, and so what I would say to educators is we can all sit around and we can all complain and we can scroll. We are in control of our thumb when we are scrolling and stopping. We can control the news that we read. We can control the emails that we read. We can control our response to those things. But at the end of the day, you have to find something that is your outlet to make you a better educator, a better person, a better human being. For me, at the as I kind of started on this quest and started to discover Brian Aspinall, I didn't even know who he was at the beginning of this. As I started to discover all these people, I started to, to see who they were connected to and I started to connect with them. And all of a sudden now, you know, six months later, I have all these amazing contact contacts of people that I can rely on for education. If I have an issue, I just type in a, a Twitter post and all of a sudden 45 responses, the answer to my question comes and I didn't even have to look anything up in the internet because there's so many educators that are out there that are not complaining, that are not sitting on their hands. There are so many educators out there that are willing to help. And I could sit here and list hundreds of them and they're out there. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, I, I invested in a coach. I personally invested in a results coach from Tony Robbins when I was starting to get this book going. Cause I was like, I really need someone to keep me accountable. And I got my life in 500 different places and I can't be like this anymore. I need to be like focused, simplified goals oriented so that I can kind of get this thing to work the way that I want it to work. So I can stay true to my purpose. And my purpose is that I, I want to inspire and guide people to believe in their inner genius. And both kids and adults. And if I want to stay true to that purpose, if I understand my purpose, then at the end of the day, everything that I do is connected to that purpose. And if I'm getting upset because kids are sick from school and people are quarantining and we're changing from this to that and this technology didn't work, but my purpose is to inspire and guide people to believe in their inner genius, I'm going to stay focused on helping others and being that servant leader that I need to be as much as I possibly can. I love the purpose statement that you just said right there. And I think, you know, it all revolves around being a lifelong learner and you're constantly looking for, you know, different connections, whether it's programs, whether it's resources, whether it's people themselves, right? And one of the things I always like to say is the legends never make it. It's never, I made it, it's always what's next. And, and I look at Michael Jordan's my favorite athlete and, 
that was always his mentality. Like one wasn't enough until he finally got to six. And now he's still trying to do it from the ownership perspective, right? It's never, I made it. It's always what's next. And so Brandon, for you, you got a book coming out. You're teaching elementary school. You're coaching high school. You're teaching college. You've got three beautiful girls at your house. Like you got all these things going on. What's next? So for me, what's next is I want to continue to stay connected with people, with educators like yourself and others. So for me in the new year, I'm going to launch a podcast that's called the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. So it's people sharing their stories about unlocking unlimited potential in themselves or in others. And it gives me a place to connect with people. Um, That's number one. Number two is continuing to speak and continuing to continue providing consultation and, and professional development. But the speaking thing is really my my next baby that I really want to focus on um, because I l- hopefully will be in conferences again soon someday. I really miss them. Um, and for me, standing up on a stage and having the opportunity to connect with people, I mean, you know, but just as much as I do that, that it's so easy for me. Like I get so excited to do that. And the reason I get excited to do that is because I know that I've had some great experiences that I think people will learn from. And I've kind of, I've kind of wrote my life and wrote my book in a way so that my experiences will not only just show you something interesting, but also you'll walk away with something you can do tomorrow in your classroom. And I think that for me, I can't wait to be able to do that again in the future. I just love being able to speak. And then I love walking off that stage and being able to connect with all the educators that listen and and listen to their ideas. Cause I'm always listening and learning from things that I said, because I know that, you know, I'm just an educator up there. That's, you know, I've done the hard work to get up there, to create the presentation, to create the, you know, the, the talking points, but I know there's so many other people out there that I can learn from. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of it as well. Absolutely. And it's just like we talked about earlier, everybody has stories to share and to have the opportunity to share those so that other people can learn and grow and be inspired and become better, not only educators, but better versions of themselves. You know, um, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And it's an awesome thing to be able to give back, especially to the profession that you love so much. Brandon, people want to connect with you on social media how do they do that and then the book is coming out next week if they want to buy a purchase uh, purchase a copy of that how do they find the book absolutely the book will be available on amazon barnes and noble codebreaker website my website is brandonbeckedu.com and that is the same as my twitter and my instagram tag brandonbeckedu I like to try to keep it simple um and yeah, you can reach out to me message me anything I, you know on on any of those places that we can connect and just like a lot of people, when I reached out to them, they returned the favor and connected with me, guys, even like yourself, PC, um, you know, I'm hoping to just return the favor and, and keep the giving going and, and pay it forward. I love it, man. Well, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast here today. Thank you for everything that you do for the world of education. Congratulations on the book. I know that's a super, super exciting time and I wish you nothing but the best. And I look forward to our continued relationship moving forward as we go down the road, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, if you do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. Thank you.